There's a phrase that I've repeated very often when I do political analysis because it remains true, and that is that competitive politics is the lifeblood of our democracy. It is also the reason, therefore, that I care very much about what happens in the opposition in South Africa, not only because I think there are a lot of commentators and analysts who actually do a pretty good job at trying to make sense of the tripartite alliance and the governing ANC, but I do think that there's often an insufficient focus on the opposition. And therefore, for me, it's a site of analysis that is important to keep a focus on to complement our obsession with the imploding African National Congress. What that means in turn is that whether you like or not the DA leadership, um, its prominent politicians, the party per se, if you are committed to democracy and therefore care for competitive politics, you had better keep a keen eye on what's happening with the official opposition because the state of the official opposition has a direct bearing on the state of our democracy. So that's the context within which I wanted to analyze the latest Twitter gaffe, and that's putting it mildly from Helen Ziller. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people zone, their children must know this are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema whispered and said sing it sing it and then they shared that zone no i'm not going to apologize can i have my ipad please so they stole it alan zilla is in reality, in my opinion anyway, the de facto lead of the Democratic Alliance, that is the real power that she has uh, adjacent to John Steenhuisen, who is nominally the party leader, but in the best case scenario, the two of them constitute the top leadership of the Democratic Alliance, regardless of people's elected positions. And some might even say that she probably is more important symbolically and also discursively in terms of the impact that her speech acts has on the fate of the Democratic Alliance publicly. Put simply, what she says matters, what she tweets matters for better or worse. And so something played out a couple of days ago on social media that I think is deeply incisive, even though it was really unfortunate and another act of bigotry on her part. Someone by the name of Pumlani Majorzi had tweeted, I repeat, every child in South Africa should end the day having dinner with mum and dad. With mum and dad, not with Gogo only. This thing of breeding children out of wedlock and sending them to Gogos to raise them is disgraceful and harms our society. As I wait for attacks. So that's what this gentleman had tweeted. Well, obviously, that raised a lot of discussion. People agreed and disagreed. And come along, Helen Ziller, she retweets. Now, 
retweeting is difficult to interpret because someone doesn't necessarily endorse that which they retweet. You could have multiple motives for why you are retweeting. So we can't make assumptions. But in this case, Helen Zilla helps us out because she then tells us why she's retweeting um, by adding a comment to the retweeting of that tweet from Pumlani that I had just read out. And Helen Zilla adds this comment to her retweeting of it. And she says, At your request, I'm retweeting this, but not because you asked for it, because it is 100% true. Essay needs to hear this. In other words, she agrees with him fully, she affirms it, and she thinks the country desperately needs to hear it. So that's an explicit endorsement of the sentiment, which means that she has aligned herself with it, internalized it as a viewpoint that is hers 100%, as she says in this comment. Now, I think it's deeply problematic, and she got lashed for this, and I think in ways that are productive. And what I want to do in the rest of this entry of Eusebius on Times Life is to explain why so many people critically engaged her, why they are right to have done so, in my opinion, and what the implications are for the DA and for our politics more broadly. So this is a singular tweet that was retweeted with a comment. But the reason it's discussion-worthy, as I will presently demonstrate, is because it illuminates a lot of other things that goes on in terms of brand DA and ways in which the DA continue to misstep tactically in terms of forays into public discourse in South Africa. But my starting point is not to give you my view first, but to just read some of the tweets that have responded to her. Now, obviously, we can't and don't verify every single person on Twitter and their account, but from what I can gather here, and I recognize some but not all of the names, you know, these are people of all sorts of different backgrounds, race and ideology, and so it's a broad range of people that responded to her. First, Kay, Kay Walsh, responded by saying the following on Twitter. People with progressive liberal values are concerned about familial dysfunction, violence, ill-treatment, inequality and discrimination against certain types of family structure, um, for example, single mothers. The view that there is an ideal family structure, says Kay, is deeply conservative. Kay concludes by saying, I'm personally very sad that the DA, under its current leadership, seems to have abandoned its progressive liberal roots and values. I don't want to vote for a conservative right-leaning party. End of sentiment. Now, I think Kay is on to something here. I mean, I think it's, it's absolutely spot on that if you are deeply committed to freedom, which lies at the heart of a liberal political project, then all sorts of violence discrimination and ill-treatment of structures should be opposed by someone who's progressive and liberal. And I'm afraid that includes, therefore, discrimination against certain family structures that are non-ideal. And ideal is in heavy quotes for good reason, because who decides what is ideal? It's a construct. And I think that's where Kay gets it right. So in, in, in effect, what Kay is saying, and I, and I agree with this implication, is that if you are attacking family structures that look different to mom and dad with one or two kids sitting down for dinner every night, then you are actually 
perpetrating violence against forms of relationships that deviate from that very conservative, stipulated, ideal type. And quite frankly, Kay, I would have gone so far as to say it is illiberal. But Kay says the same by saying that the viewpoint Helen Ziller is endorsing is quote-unquote deeply conservative, and I think that's absolutely spot-on. So I totally agree with that response from Kay Walsh. There was another response from Vusi Muzi who said, My mom, growing up, used to stay at her employee's, employer's place, washing, cleaning, cooking, and walking their dogs. I was four. I only saw her once a month, and she worked about eight kilometers from where we stayed. Now, that's a painful truth and a painful tweet. And that's the point about Helen Zilli yet again, tweeting first, and I was going to say thinking later, but that's assuming that critical thinking happens at all later, which I think invariably does not. But what this person is suggesting, which is absolutely spot on, is why the hell don't you think first? The truth of the matter is that many families are ripped apart because of the structure of the economy and because of the history of this country in which millions of black South Africans live precariously, including moms who are part of the working poor, if they're not unemployed, and many of the working poor often find themselves in the suburbs, for example, looking after your children as white women. Many of them staying on the premises in quote-unquote servants' quarters, back rooms. And then you have the audacity of being completely, completely ahistorical in attacking those moms inadvertently who can't be present every single night for a sit-down dinner with their children. I mean, that's just unforgiving. If you live in this country with your eyes wide open, and you constantly, as Helen Zilla does, want to remind us of what you had gone through in the 80s, doing your bit journalistically to fight against a racist apartheid government with a pen, then where is that historicism in your politics in 2022? I mean, it's just not there. So again, a tweet responds to her that she will ignore because she's recalcitrant and she doubles down instead of self-examining. Here's another one from Rahul. Rahul says, But Helen, this was colonial policy and in fact a strategy of colonizers. And aren't you a defender of colonial legacies by implication? This is exactly the type of thing, says Rahul, you defend when you defend colonialism. Now, this is going to sting because Helen and her WhatsApp group into which she tweets and they retweet one another in those echo chambers will think that this is a lazy use of the reference to colonialism or apartheid or inadvertently the race card. But it's true, and I'm going to come to this a little bit later. There's an obvious history here of migrant labor that is intrinsic to the colonial project that still has got structural remnants that exists in the social landscape in 2022. And to be glib about the consequences of the past and how far into the present it reaches is to be intentionally ahistorical and to lazily mock and berate struggling families who are still trying to somehow eke out an existence, less a living, 
less a qualitative life in the face of an ANC government that disappoints combined with the historical consequences of colonialism and apartheid. And Rahul is absolutely spot on, but Rahul's tweet is the kind of tweet that Helen and her friends would never pay attention to because it requires self-examination, which is not exactly part and parcel of how they engage when it comes to political discourse. There were similar kinds of sentiment expressed on Facebook that I thought was just absolutely on point. And I will share two before I wrap the commentary about Helen Zeller's tweet and why I thought it was necessary to do this quick entry. Chantal Engelbrecht says, how? But how does she still have access to her Twitter account? John Steenhuisen should sneak into her house at night, steal her phone and change her passwords. Now, many people on my Facebook account loved what Chantal had to say. And I know Chantal is a Facebook friend and know that she's often earnest, but she combines it with a great sense of humor. So I don't think she necessarily meant this literally, but the sentiment, the jocular tone was definitely appreciated by many people that responded to it positively. I opted for a serious response to Chantal, even while knowing that she was mocking Helen Ziller as a useful way to respond to a completely, completely ridiculous tweet that had been retweeted with a ridiculous comment attached to the retweet. But the reason I responded seriously to Chantal is that I wanted people who may not appreciate Chantal's politics to not focus on something that is actually a sideshow. The fact that Helen Ziller is tweeting without being told to not tweet isn't the issue. Her tweets are actually useful because they tell us and show us exactly who she is. The problem is the content of her beliefs. The problem is her politics. The problem is her recalcitrance, her inability and unwillingness to rethink her positions when people come along and say, here are my lived experiences, they are social facts, and you are wrong and you don't know my situation. And so... I don't want us to obsess about what is the DA social media policy. Why isn't she being policed? Take her phone away. Because I think that's dealing with the mechanism that delivers her problematic politics rather than actually engaging the content of her problematic politics. What these tweets reveal is someone who's deeply conservative, who's hard-headed, and who damages the brand of the DA, and who is, quite frankly doing a good job at ensuring that the useless ANC continues to be in power despite its record of being deeply implicated in state capture. That, from a substantive point of view, Chantal, is a bigger problem than the question of whether or not her phone should be taken away. So although it's a jocular moment, and my goodness, do we need that in a country with you know, so much to deal with in terms of pressure points, I saw a lot of people independently also suggesting that they can't believe that she still has access to a Twitter account. Please just make sure that you do not thereby imply that a different social media policy is what is needed in the DA. What is needed in the DA is for there to be an explicit repudiation of the politics of Helen Ziller and for there to be a progressive, historically sensitive and evidence-informed set of policies and viewpoints to be established 
when it comes to social policy debates like what is a family and what is the role of different kinds of family in our society and the role of the state in making sure that everyone has an opportunity to develop their potential. Those are the kinds of nexus issues that matter. What is not at issue is whether or not she should be allowed her phone. In a sense, I'm grateful that her phone hasn't been taken away because it gives us a chance to know exactly who she is unpoliced. And then lastly, Sia Kumalo. Sia says, does this apply to black families who were dispossessed of land so their fathers and sons would work at mines and as gardeners while the mothers worked as maids? Asking for a few non-DA voters, he says. Now, I think Sia Kumalo is absolutely on point here. I mean, it's, you know, for someone, again, who has written books, um, Helen Ziller, that is, who has been a journalist, who's just an old South African who's lived for a long time in this country with apparent understanding of the material conditions of the land across the proverbial color line, a young black South African columnist like Sia should not have to come along and remind you of what the labor system was under apartheid and colonialism and what that migrant labor policy did to rip apart family structures. But as I said to Sia online, of course it will be an inconvenient truth to the children of hegemony, the grandchildren of 1652, to be reminded of the historical facts that explain the family structures that have been ripped apart, that are now being moralized about by Helen Ziller. And the fact that she's jumping on the bandwagon of a conservative black person's tweet doesn't make it any better. Just like some women can be friends of patriarchy, of course, it's unsurprising that you can find some black persons that will share Helen Zillis, Helen Zillis sentiment. That doesn't prove the case. All it shows is a white, right-wing, morally conservative person weaponizing a black name and surname to try and give greater legitimacy to their ahistoricism and their ridiculous view about hard-working black families that cannot be together every single evening. Finish and Clark. And that's what the sentiment is that that tweet of hers reveals that we should hold on to as an accurate summary of the content of her politics. Let me wrap up with a couple of conclusions. What does all of this tell you? It tells you that Helen Ziller is in fact illiberal and also that she's attempting to be populist but failing. She's attempting to be populist in the sense that she imagines that she lives in a country that is in reality conservative with an ideal family type that is, in fact, endorsed by millions of South Africans. What she did not reckon is that even if some people can be conservative on questions, let's say, around sexuality, gender, maybe even, I don't know, on sex work, we understand, even as conservative black persons that there's no such thing as a simple ideal family structure because we are raised by the proverbial village and therefore Helen Ziller in attempting to be populist had actually completely misstepped not realizing the obvious that shouldn't require more than a second's thought that there are millions of South Africans including ones that are otherwise conservative who will not appreciate 
a lack of regard for the extended black family unit that is a key part of the black experience. And in the end, what we see here is a tweet that really is a violent assault on black life and reveals a Helen Zeller that is illiberal, populist in this moment, and conservative rather than progressive and liberal. But also, it's not an isolated incident, secondly. as the second of three inferences or conclusions I want to draw. You know, this is the same Helen Zeller that attacks, for example, young people and think that labeling someone as woke counts as an argument. This is the same Helen Zeller that is colorblind, doesn't know what critical race theory is, but takes a leaf out of the Don Donald Trump right-wing American conservative pages and attacks anyone who wants to talk about racialized identities and experiences in South Africa. This is the same Helen Zeller who years ago called hard-working, evidence-informed, expert civil society organizations, doctors and scientists, aides Gestapo, including telling at least one expert what it is that the expert had meant by her own work when she tweeted Helen Zeller and said, Helen, you're relying on my work to engage AIDS activists, but you've actually misunderstood my work. And Helen had the audacity of trying to tell the author that the author is wrong about their own work. And then lastly, this tells us that the ANC can chill in the face of a DA led by Helen Zeller because Helen Zeller in her omnipresence is making sure that her bigotry undermines the brand of the DA and then to bring it back to my opening statement undermines the competitive politics element of our democracy that is so crucial to the democracy overall. And that for me is really why this is important and also unfortunate. It is important because it potentially will have the knock-on effect of reducing competitiveness if the DA continues to be a brand that is loved by a small group of loyal base supporters, but beyond that doesn't really have growth prospects because of this kind of language, belief system, viewpoints that are held by the likes of Helen Ziller. And in turn, it also means reduced accountability for the ANC because the ANC doesn't have to worry about effective opposition as an externality that can be a threat to the ANC in 2024.